Holy Spirit, we invite you to come minister to us as we hear from your word. Pray that you would open up our hearts and ears to hear what it is you have to say. Speak, O Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. This morning, I'm excited because we are starting a new four-week sermon series called The Community of Generosity. And I truly believe that generosity is one of the most powerful forces for kingdom good and kingdom work in our world. Is anybody kind of upset and feeling kind of gross about how bad the world seems right now? I mean, but I believe generosity could have such an impact that we could see change even in our lifetimes by what we sow into with the wealth that God has given us. I mean, I want us to think about in this series, what would it look like if churches all around the world were giving joyfully, joyfully, were giving abundantly, were giving sacrificially for the kingdom of God? What would it look like if communities were transformed by the simple acts of kindness and generosity of Christians in our lives? I mean, this is a gift that God gives to us, that he allows us to play a part in what he is doing in the world. And when we sow financially into what God is doing, we get to see the, the reaping, what comes after that. And I have to tell you my own testimony. I am the fruit of many, many people's generosity. Many, many. I couldn't even tell you how many times people have been generous to me. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you one story in particular. Uh, when I was 13 years old, I was a part of the First Covenant in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, at that time, I was not a committed follower of Jesus. I was, I was a believer, but I was not committed to Jesus Christ personally. And they said there, a camp is coming up. A camp was coming up for the summer. And uh, I was on the fence about going. I really didn't want to go, but I was, I was considering. And uh, one of our youth leaders said, well, we, we, need, we need to know if you're going to go to camp. And if, if there's any obstacle, we want you to know that people in the church have donated money so that you could actually go to camp for free. And when you're 13 years old and you hear the word free, you get excited. <laughs> it's like, I go to camp for free. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll go to camp. And that was the tipping point for me choosing to go to camp that year. Well, when I got to camp that year, I made a personal commitment to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Those people, they're, they're a couple hundred dollars. That paid eternal dividends like that, didn't it? That, that alone would be worth it. And not that I'm anything special, but look what God has done with me. Only by his grace, I've become a pastor to preach and to teach. And that simple couple hundred dollar donation is still benefiting God's kingdom to this day. I hope. <laughs> I hope and pray. <laughs> so my goal in this series is to motivate you, is to inspire you, is to encourage you to be generous givers to the kingdom of God, all for his glory. It's a huge theme of the Bible. Jesus talked about our money and possessions almost more than anything else. Raise your hand. Let's do a little experiment. Raise your hand. We practiced hand raising last week. Uh, <laughs> raise your hand if you either made or used money sometime in the last week. <laughs> all right. This is something, obviously, that affects us all. It affects us all every day. And more than just our uses, it affects our hearts it affects our souls. It affects how we view the world. It's a really big deal. And so I want to invite you to please turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew 6. It's a passage that uh, was read. Uh, and this is out of Jesus' teaching in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of the, the summary of his teaching to his disciples. And so if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, these are things that should characterize your life. Because this are, these are the kinds of things that followers of Jesus do. 
So we ought to pay attention. I'm not going to reread the whole thing. Let's just look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about five wealth principles from Jesus Christ. Five principles on wealth, and we're going to break it down. So here's, here's number one. Do not store your wealth on earth because it will be lost. Do not store your wealth on earth because it will be lost. Jesus is, Jesus is saying here that everything on earth is subject to some type of loss and destruction. Now in the ancient era, in the Middle East here, uh, they were worried about moths and vermin. A lot of times uh, the rich, they had fine clothes that could be destroyed by moths actually who would eat, eat at them. And often, if you remember Jesus' story of the parable of the rich fool, he gets all, his land produces a lot of crop, right? And what does he do? He builds bigger barns to store more of his crops. So wealthy people, a lot of their wealth was stored in grain, was stored in crops, and they'd put them in barns. But what happened is vermin, you know, mouse, uh, mice and rats and, and worms and all kinds of things could get in there and eat all their wealth away. It was subject to vermin. And then it was, they were also subject, their wealth was subject to being stolen uh, differently than it is today, but their houses were easily dug into, and thieves could dig through the houses to steal whatever valuables that they were storing there. Now today, we're not really in danger of, of who's worried about a moth today stealing their wealth. Anybody worried about a moth? I didn't think so. No one's worried about a moth and vermin, you know, taking their wealth today. But I will say, after the crash of 2008, what many people thought was so trustworthy, the stock market, the value in your home, these things can't be trusted with the, the God-like security that we often give them, that this is what's going to hold me through. They never were supposed to be our security, but even now today we can't give them the same security that we thought that we could. And so in some ways we can say, don't store your wealth on earth where the stock, stock market can go up and down and crash and you can lose it all. Don't store it on earth where inflation can take all the wealth that you've built and make it less valuable. Don't store your wealth on earth where your, where your technology, where your goods go outdated and out of style every year. We can't keep up with it. We can't keep up with the times. It's hard for your wealth and your, value, your valuables to stay valuable over time. And if we're honest, many of the things we own will end up where? A garage sale or goodwill. That's where a lot of it ends up. We just get rid of it. We throw it away. You know, this alone, this should be enough to give us pause, should dissuade us from storing too much wealth in such unstable structures. But even if all those things, even if you thought you could trust in all of those things, eventually we die. Eventually we die and we lose it all. It all gets lost in the end. And so we have to remember consistently that we can't take it with us. You can't take it with you. Every treasure we store here on earth is temporary and fleeting. So that's, that's what Jesus says first about wealth. Don't store your wealth on earth because it will be lost. Then the second thing he talks about is store your wealth in heaven where it will last forever. Store your wealth in heaven where it will last forever. Jesus wants you to understand that heaven in this regard is the opposite of earth. That everything in heaven is eternal and will last forever. It's not temporary. It's not fleeting. It's not transient. No moths are going to be up there. In case you were worried, <laughs> there are not going to be any moths destroying your wealth up there. Uh, but it's not going to have any of those things. No one's going to steal your identity in heaven. No one's going to hack your, bank, your heavenly bank account. Now this idea, this idea of a, a heavenly account, it's, it's kind of funny. 
But it's actually something that the Bible teaches a lot about. The Bible teaches that God is keeping track of what we do. He's well aware of how we spend our time, how we use our talents, how we use our money. And he will reward us accordingly for what we have done with those things. He will reward us accordingly for what we have done. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Praise God. Because we couldn't make it there without, without Jesus. What I'm talking about is the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2. And he's keeping track and he will reward us. Look at what Jesus himself says, verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Store up for who? For yourselves. Is that interesting? We don't think about that a lot. Store up for yourselves. There's something that you're storing up for your own self. So Jesus, he's not against you storing up wealth for yourself. He's against you storing it in the wrong place and in the wrong way. That's what he's teaching about. He wants you to store your wealth in heaven, in your heavenly account. And actually, the, that great apostle, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this uh, in the book of Philippians, which you all should know lots about. And uh, he's talking to the Philippians and how they provided for him financially when he was in need. They sent him aid. And look what he says in verses 16 through 17. You sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Isn't that interesting? Paul's saying, you know, I was content, I'm good, I wasn't you know, longing for your financial provision, but I'm glad for you. I'm glad you provided for me when I was in need, because why? Because more was credited to your account in the sight of God. That you made a deposit that's gaining interest in heaven. More is credited to your account. So what we give away generously to others, especially to the poor, is going to be rewarded by God in the age to come. Randy Alcorn, who writes a lot about heaven, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. <laughs> That's kind of funny, right? Funny way to put it. Now, let's give a little hypothetical situation. Suppose you were going to move to a new country. You know, we, we have a lot of people, no, no names here, who like Scotland. So let's just pick on the Scotland folks a little bit. And uh, let's say, suppose you're going to move to the country of Scotland, and you have three months until you're going to move. And uh, the airline industry, sorry, Adam, is suffering a little bit, and you can't take any bags. You can't take, you can't take any belongings with you, okay? And then, Scott, you know, and some, for some reason, the U.S. gets kicked out of the U.N., and, uh, you know, we, we can't... We, Scotland has decided that they're not going to accept the American dollar anymore. They're not going to exchange with us anymore in three, in three months' time. But here's two things you can do. You are allowed to send any belongings, any keepsakes that you would like to have with you. You can send them ahead through FedEx. Or, and with your money, you can actually wire it uh, over these next three months. You can wire as much money, as much of your wealth as you want. You can send it over there, and they will exchange it until then. But once you're there, you can't exchange anymore. What would you do if you had those three months, you're about to move and lose everything? Wouldn't you not be diligent? and sending your precious belongings ahead of you? Would you not be diligent in wiring as much money as you possibly could so that when you're there, you're taken care of? Friends, this is what it is like in the spiritual walk that we have with Jesus Christ. That we, the Bible talks about this life as a journey, that we're, we're resident aliens, we're strangers, we're just passing through. And yes, God's going to come and renew all things and we'll be with, uh, be with him forever. But 
uh, we are on this journey. And um, God has set up a wiring system. He has set up a wiring system to exchange the wealth that you have here for eternal wealth that you will keep forever in his heavenly kingdom. And he says, you can do this, you can use this system as much as you would like. As much as you would like to do it, I will reward you accordingly. And, but, you will not, but once you get there, you will not be able to add any more to your account than it's already there. It has to be added here. It has to be exchanged here. So we're not, we're not really told what this treasure in heaven is, what it's going to look like. We're only promised that this is something God will do and that it's something that we should be striving for. And he rewards us for this generous living. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we store treasure in heaven? You know, Jesus ended his sermon on the, this, this section of the Sermon on the Mount by talking about seeking first the kingdom of God. And so we store treasure in heaven by living and giving to kingdom priorities. By living and giving to kingdom priorities. You know, a huge, and I think specifically, a huge priority that Christians often neglect is to give to the poor. Is to give to the poor. And I, I think this is what Jesus is primarily talking about when he's talking about this. Look what he says in Luke 12, 33. Actually, I don't know if I have this one on the screen. But he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. So he's saying, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves, you'll have treasure in heaven. He makes exactly almost the same promise. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, he comes in, what, what, what must I do? And Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, that is one of the most important priorities of the kingdom is, is helping those who are in need. That's a kingdom priority. And so when, if we want to be storing that up, that is something we must be giving to. So let's not be like that rich man who walks away and misses out on eternal treasure. Now, we can't take it with us, but we can send it on ahead. So I don't think that this precludes us from, I don't think Jesus is teaching here that you, that you can't save up some money for some needs that you might have. Or, or, and of course, God wants to provide for ourselves and for our families, which the Bible calls us to do. And God also wants us to enjoy life. Uh, that's in 1 Timothy. Uh, God is the giver of all good things. Food and drink, as Paul reminds us. Uh, but let's, not, let's be careful not to soften Jesus too much. All right? You know how we want, we want, to, you know, we want to be defensive and, and soften what Jesus is telling us? He's just telling us, he's just telling you how to live wisely. If this is the case, wouldn't you not do this as much as you could? Live wisely in light of eternity. Randy Elkhorn, again, he says, uh, um, May what will be the most important to us five minutes after we die become most important to us now. Don't we need that? May what will become most important to us five minutes after we die become most important to us right now. So Jesus says, he says, store your wealth in heaven where it's going to last forever. Number three, he says, keep your heart in the right place by investing in heaven. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you invest your time, your talents, your treasure, your money, that is going to affect your heart, how you feel, how you live. And I think that's probably the reason why, why we're all so self-centered, right? I mean, we spend so much money on ourselves, and it turns us inward on what we want. And I, I love how John Calvin puts this, one of the, the great reformers, the 1500s. Look what he says. He says, 
For many are so devoted to luxury in all their senses that their mind lies buried. Wow. Many are so delighted with marble, with gold and pictures that they become marble-hearted, are changed, as it were, into metal and made like painted figures. The kitchen with its savory smells so engrosses them that they have no spiritual savior. The same thing may be seen in other matters. You see, there's that old saying, you are what you eat, and that can be true to a lot of extents, but you are what you spend your money on. You are what you spend your money on. Because in some sense, that's going to affect your heart, it's going to affect how you think, and that's also going to change your behavior, because it's affecting you from the inside out. So the more you spend money on the things of the earth, the more you become connected to the earth. The more you invest in God's priorities, the more you're going to care about the things God cares about. And frankly, this is going to free you up. When you do this, when you free yourself from the junk and the consumption and the materialism of our world, you're going to live freer. You're going to live with more joy. You're going to live lighter because God designed us to live like this. In fact, many non-religious people, secular people, you, you can watch TED Talks on this. They talk about the power of generosity just to make you happy. And that's not what it's all about. But it's that, that obviously. Uh, but... There is a sense that this is how God has designed you to live abundantly. When you give to his kingdom priorities, it will produce a change within you that will help you live more abundantly because you'll be becoming more like God. So we want to keep our hearts in the right place by investing in heaven and God's priorities. And number four, we need to recognize that greed will blind you. Greed will blind you. In verses 22 through 23, Jesus gives this whole thing about the eye being the lamp of the body and your eyes being unhealthy, healthy or unhealthy. Now, the consensus, it seems, and most scholars would talk about this, is this, the Greek for healthy and unhealthy is really about being generous or being stingy. If you had an unhealthy eye, that was like a stingy eye. And in fact, if you have the, the most recent NIV, you can see in your footnotes that there, there might be a letter C or a letter D by those words, healthy or unhealthy. And you can see they say what's going on here is, is generosity or stinginess or greed. Um, and so um, Jesus is saying that the healthy eye is generous, the unhealthy eye is stingy. And when you're stingy, it's like blinding yourself. It's like filling yourself with darkness. And I like how William Barclay in his commentary puts it. He says it this way. So Jesus is saying, there is nothing like generosity for giving you a clear and undistorted view of life and of people. And there is nothing like the grudging an ungenerous spirit for distorting your view of life and people. When we live stingy, it just it affects us. It blinds us and it distorts everything. But, on the, so, but with greed, with greed, it is, it is going to keep you from seeing the potential generosity has to change the world. It's going to keep you from seeing the potential generosity has to change your life, your heart, your family. Greed is going to keep your vision of life so small that you're just going to think about your own little kingdom and your own little, wor- your own little world. But on the other hand, generosity is going to expand your vision. It's going to expand your view of life. It's going to allow you to see how we, even how you invest a single dollar into the kingdom can produce a hundredfold when God blesses it and it goes to him. So we have to recognize that greed blinds us. Generosity opens us up. So lastly, number five. Don't live to get wealth, but use your wealth in the service of God and his purposes. Don't live to get wealth, but use your wealth in the service of God and his purposes. 
Look what Jesus says in verse 24. This is the climax of his teaching. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and you love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus, what does he do? He is laying down the ultimate ultimatum. The ultimate ultimatum. It's either, it's either me or money. It's either God or money. Which will it be? How long will we keep serving at the altar of wealth and consumption and materialism and greed, the almighty dollar? And will you, or will you serve the Lord instead? Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, God willing, we will serve the Lord. Not the idol of money. Faith Covenant family, I want you to think about this. What if we became an extravagant community of generosity beyond what we already are? Many of you are already generous and you're already storing up that wealth in heaven. Praise God. What if we took it even more? What if we gave even more sacrificially and generously to his kingdom purposes? If we all said, you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to store up treasure on earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop increasing my standard of living every year. And I'm going to start increasing my standard of giving every year. What if we said, I'm going to store up as much treasure in heaven as I possibly can. I'm going to send it on ahead of me through giving, through good deeds, through generosity. What if we all kept our hearts in the right place by investing in God's priorities so that we would care deeply about the thing God cares about? What if we said, what if we all recognize that greed does blind us, but that generosity is freeing and that we could all be unstuck from this junk that our culture keeps us in? And what if we said, you know, I'm not going to live for wealth, but I'm going to use all that God has given me. It's all his anyway. I'm going to use all that he has given me to his service and to his glory. Would we not see such fruit? Would that not that $100 to the kid to go to camp make such a difference a hundredfold beyond what you've given? We don't always get to see what God does with what we give, but when we get to heaven, we will see, I believe. We will see the fruit of all that we have given. Amen. This morning, we're going to go to prayer. I'm going to do a pastoral prayer for us this morning. And uh, I want to invite you to just adopt some posture of humility. Maybe you want to you lean forward on your chair. Some of you may want to bend a knee. Uh, some of you might just want to just bow your head. Just so, adopt some type of prayer posture that helps you go before the Lord in prayer. Let's go to Him in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts, our lives, we bow our wallets before you. You are so worthy. You are so good. You are beyond what we can even imagine how good you are. The gift that you've given us in your son is incomparable. There's nothing that we could give or do that will equal what you've given us. So, Lord, help us to live grateful lives. Help us to live with such generous spirits that we see more people come to know you and to know the, the, the grace and the mercy you've poured out upon us. And, God, we confess before you this morning that we haven't always done well with the money and possessions you've given us. God, we've been greedy. We've, we've stored up many treasures upon the earth. We've been foolish at times. God, would you forgive us, forgive every person here, forgive all of us for the ways that we've squandered what you've given us.
for the ways we've been caught up in the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, for the ways that we've allowed money and possessions to grip our hearts in such a way that you haven't designed. And oh God, free us from that. Free us from the grip that it has on us that we might live freely for your kingdom. And Father, we also, we don't want to pray just for us. We pray for all people around the world. God, specifically, I want to pray for the country of Spain this morning. God, for, for the Basques people, for Muslims, for young people who need to come to Christ. Lord, for missionaries, for church planters, for Christian workers who need your, your, God, your energy, your, your strength, God, your wisdom and your strategy so that they might reach people for Christ. God, raise up more agapitos. Raise up more people who share your good news. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters also around the world. We pray that you would unleash courageous generosity in the church. May Christians be once again known for their sacrificial love and their sacrificial giving. Unleash a spirit of giving and generosity all through the global body of Christ. And Father, we also pray for those in authority in this community, in this state, and in this country. We pray for all those who, are, who soon will be voted into new positions of power and influence. God, we ask that you would give them your wisdom, your guidance, that they might help bless our community. Our communities have, have real needs that need to be led competently and kindly and righteously. So, Father, I pray that you would give them the wisdom they need to do that. And, Father, we also pray for our church, that we would continue the mission you've given us, the vision you've given us. God, that we would continue to develop our outreach efforts, that we would renew relationships with each other and our love for you. May you be our church's first love. May we not be drawn to lukewarmness by the possessions of this world, but drawn into a, a fiery love for you. And God, we also pray for every person in this congregation who needs healing, who needs comfort, who is struggling. They're here this morning and they're, they're struggling financially. They're hearing this message and they're, they're worried about even paying their bills. They're worrying about the next day. They're worried about how they're going to pay their debt. Father, I ask that you would provide for them, that you would be the good father who provides their needs, and that we would help to bear their burdens as well. God, you would comfort all those who worry about money, who fight with their spouses over money, that you would bring healing and peace and your grace. And Father, we close this time by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.